0: So, this morning we continue in this stream, this kind of evolution of the meditative cultivation, or unveiling, of compassion, moving from the immeasurable compassion, and then moving, almost as if you are going from desire realm to form realm, I mean, it's really a moving to another dimension of practice as you transition. From the immeasurable compassion to great compassion. Great compassion. Oh. It's very extremely consonant with the teachings that we're attending to here, these teachings on Mahomet Renzokchan. It's Tuji Chembo Sum, it's the teachings of Tuji Chembo. What's it Tuji is the great compassionate one, but Tuji Chambu is simply honorific of Ninji Jumbo, which is great compassion. So there is among the four greats, the Great loving Kindness, Great Compassion, the one that actually is highlighted more than any other in the Mahayana tradition is this one, the Great Compassion, Maha Karuna, Karuna. It is uh, now distinctive, it is unique to the Mahayana Buddhist tradition within, within Buddhism. I think it is actually distinct or unique, as far as I can tell, among the world's traditions. And again, we have this balance, it always comes down to that term, this balance on the one hand, through the cultivation of the great compassion, and knowing, whether explicitly or implicitly, knowing the depths of our being from which this can actually be an authentic, not only aspiration, but intention. So recall that, that's a big difference, the big, a major demarcation between the four immeasurables. And the four greats is the four greats, each one of them entails intention, resolve, promise, a pledge, whereas the other ones are wishes, you know, wish list. Uh, But this is an intention, right? And so it's an unveiling, it's a cultivation of great compassion. And somewhere a long time ago, literally decades ago, I read someplace and I have not been able to track down where. But someone said, <laughs> "How's that for vagueness?" <laughs> but it intuited I mean, I'm still remembering it because it just so resonated, like it was kind of like, "Yeah, that great compassion kind of arouses your Buddha nature, arouses your enfoldment in the Mahayana family that is really setting out on the Bodhisattva path. It's like, I'm just rambling here, but there are many there are a number of prayers in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition of calling the lama from afar that that theme crops up again and again calling the lama from afar even in tibet which was a pretty good sized country well the fastest way to get across the country was a horse so if your lama lives just 500 miles away that's a long horse ride right and so often the lama would be especially the great lamas they'd be traveling around and so forth or the disciples would be scattered all over the country even if the lama's living like his holiness in Laza, so very often the disciples would call upon their guru from up uh, from afar, and in uttermost sincerity. Really, in the sense you know, acknowledging the conventional reality, your guru's body is far away from your body, and you're not simply praying to an archetype. Let's not get too intellectual here. It's not just some archetype, some you know, some abstraction. You really are calling to your guru. You know, And if it's a very highly realized guru, the guru might actually explicitly hear you. you know? And even if not, then on the deepest level the guru does hear you. Padmasambhava, whether your guru is just kind of an ordinary person like me, I'm not going to hear you. All I hear is the noise of my mind. You know, But that's not a problem, because I'm not an inherently existent ordinary guy. You know, where I am, there's a Buddha. Where my cell phone is, there's a Buddha. If you want to pray for my cell phone, you can. Because <laughs> the Buddha's there too, you know, that can, that can be your icon. <laughs> but if your guru is, you know, one of the great beings, they may actually pick up your prayer consciously. It happens. It happens. But those are for the great ones. But I went on to that little tangent because this great cultivation of great compassion is like calling upon your guru from afar. And your guru is your pristine awareness and it often seems very far away. As we lodge ourselves, we embed ourselves, we make ourselves feel so at home in our ordinary minds. Our ordinary personal story, identity, history, personality. That's where I feel home. Okay, kinda cruddy home, but at least it's mine. You know? And when I'm lodged there, my Buddha nature seems, seems about as far, as, at least as far away as the only Dalai Lama, at least as far away. Maybe it's another galaxy. And so this, as we are arousing this intention of great compassion, clear. I think it's obvious, isn't it, that it makes sense only from the perspective of Buddha nature. Anything else is just kind of like, what? you know, get over yourself, megalomania, crazy, crazy, fantastic, you know, silly, and so forth. Those kind of terms leap to my mind. Very sweet, but, you know, not realistic. But from that perspective, so it's like we're calling to our own Buddha nature from afar, calling from the coarse mind to our Buddha nature. You you know, arouse, wake up, wake up, because I'm making an intention here, and only you can fulfill it. It's kind of an I-thou relationship with your own Buddha nature having a conversation. So I remember one little quip I heard years ago, as I'm continued just rambling all over the place. But one person, he said, I became an atheist when I recognized that when I was praying, I was the only one listening. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those points where you can take a left or a right. You can either say, I'm all alone here, and this praying is ridiculous, because nobody's listening except for me, so why should I talk to myself? Or, and I understand that, that's not silly. Or, yeah, right, I'm the only one listening. buddha nature's listening to me, the fountainhead of all primordial wisdom, compassion, the minds of all the Buddhas, I am svabhava shuddha sava svabhava ham I am the purity of all dharmas. Right. So, until we realize yoga, yoga, the union, the primordial non-duality between our own ordinary identity, just what do you think you are, No, just normally, that and your Buddha nature, that they're not really two, they're not separate, they are of the same nature and yet not identical. That is, you can know yourself as Amy, but that doesn't mean you know Buddha nature. But Amy is not other than Amy's Buddha nature, right? Amy's, Amy's ordinary sense of herself is not other than some separate entity from her Buddha nature. So it's calling from the calling the Guru from afar, and then as we progress along the path, the Guru seems to get closer and closer and closer. Until finally, when you come to that fruition, vidyadara will do. Then you see, aha, primordial unity. It's all been a play. A play like Dujum Lingba listening pad, to Padmasambhava teaching his circle of disciples. And it's all a play. Because it's stated right there, all of these bodhisattvas in this visionary scenario of Samantrabhadra manifesting as Padmasambhava, having four hundred pages of question and answer with the circle of disciples, that those disciples are all simply nothing other than emanations of Padmasambhava's own mind. And here it is the spectator is Dujum Lingba. He was a disciple of Padmasambhava. Gosh, what do you think? Do you think he might have been enlightened himself? Well, in fact, he says he was. At the end of Mutton Feathers, he said, I've achieved the fourth state of a Vidyadatta. spontaneously actualized. He, said, he says it. Not many are that blunt, that candid. But when you get there, you just don't worry about ego. It's not an issue. So to ramble a little bit more, I'm just kind of like, you know, this is kind of like modern art, just a little splash of here and a <laughs> splash of there. When we go to pristine awareness, because that's what this is all about, then it, I'll speak in Dzogchen terminology, it has these two aspects. Mo Kata. it's essential nature, it's original, prior, primor, uh, purity, original purity, it's essential nature. The essential nature is beyond time, the inconceivable, that which transcends all conceptual frameworks, beyond space, beyond time. Primordial stillness, right? Also, pristine awareness in its aspect of original purity, forever free. On the other hand, (laughs) Ranjin Hlundup, its manifest nature of spontaneous actualization. Spontaneous means just like that, happening effortlessly, spontaneously, coming from a space-time, beyond space-time, manifesting just like that, as, well, as all the activities of a Buddha. And so the ngō-kata aspect, the original priority asp- a prim- purity aspect, is pointing to dharmakaya. The spontaneous actualization, Lhudup, is pointing to, of course, rupakaya, sambhogakaya, nirmanakaya. Now, these correspond to the two phases of classic Dzogchen practice, which you find uniquely in Dzogchen. And that is you have, on the one hand, the texture the cutting through to original purity, so you know what that's about. That's what takes you right to becoming a Vidyadara, right? Direct route, shamatha, vipassana, and then that. And as we'll see later on, Karmachamana Rinpoche says, well, essentially, the mahamudra, mahamudra theory and practice is, boils down to being essentially the same. Modification of terminology and so forth, emphasis here, emphasis there, but essentially the same as texture the cutting through. So, texture space of Dzogchen, Mahamudra, essentially the same. But then, in the Gagyut tradition, in the new translation schools, then they have the six yogas and aropa. Oh, wow! Talk about a bouquet! Well, with Mahamudra and the six yogas, you're complete. You don't need anything more to achieve enlightenment. Right? In Dzogchen, they, of course, they also have or oh, maha anu yoga anu yoga corresponds to stage of completion of course they have that it's stage of generation completion and then Yoga. so they have all three and so there's complete symmetry there complete complementarity but it is also said and it is said specifically by padmasambhava in a number of these ogent treatises that as helpful as the stage of generation and completion can be and there's just no there's no questioning that they can be enormously helpful if the question is asked, are they, in all cases, indispensable? You need to complement your Dzogchen practice with all the deity yoga of stage, generation, completion, and his answer is very clear: not in all cases. No, some people can just follow the direct, totally unelaborated, unelaborated. This is not cutting corners; it just has no frills. So, cutting corners is you cutting something that might have been important, but you took a shortcut. This is not deviating from which, that which is absolutely core. So there's no c- cutting corners here, but it is just abiding relentlessly on just the core. That straight route, shama, devipassana, tek and then the direct crossing over. Now within these two phases, and the second phase being unique to Dzogchen, the great perfection, the direct crossing over, this really consists of some very simple practice which which give rise to an immensely rich, profound, and transformative sequence of visionary experiences that transform. It's very unlike texture, very unlike just cutting through to pristine awareness. Methodologically, not all that different, but what's happening is quite different. Now, if we go to back to very early days of Ch'en, very early days, centuries ago, uh, then one finds, that it was commonly taught, to as, with with the sufficient preliminaries, however much you want to do, however elaborate it may be, they would actually practice the direct crossing over first, and on that basis go into direct the cutting through, turtgel first, and Texture second. Very interesting. There's no question about it. That that was taught. It was mainstream. It was not some unorthodox kind of fringe movement. It was very mainstream. And I asked one knowledgeable lama about that not too long ago. I said, but because it's you know, the teachings I've received are uniform and it's from Patna Sambhava, above all, overwhelmingly Patna Sambhava, and that's texture and then tutgel. The texture, it's you cut through to to pristine awareness, you're dwelling in pristine awareness, your perspective is pristine awareness, and from that perspective, in indispensably from that perspective with your basis in shamatha and vipassana, then you venture into these very simple practices of posture, of gaze. Uh, and then these visionary appearances arise, and they're arising in Dharmadhatu, they're arising in the space of awareness, viewed from the perspective of rikpa. Right? But if you don't have the perspective of rikpa, then what are you doing here? You, know, you haven't bought the ticket to get into the stadium. So I asked somebody very knowledgeable not too long ago, and he said, well, because I said, you know, I'm not challenging this, what do I know, but how could that work? And the answer was uh, quite compelling to me. And that is that for some individuals, they may on the basis, of, you know, all the preliminaries needed, they may prior to the tek they may practice a direct crossing over and by way of these visions that appear, these pure visions that appear, by way of them, that may lead them to the source of those visions which is, of course, rikpa, because these are all effulgences, tsel, rikpe tsel, the creative displays or expressions of creative power of rikpa. So, getting this all over the place, you may come come in through the rikpa door and from there go into the full display of these spontaneous actualizations of these visions, these displays of Dharmakaya, or you may come, if you're very well prepared, come in by way of the displays, trace them to the source, and you come to rikpa itself. But nowadays, I think it's nowadays means for centuries, and it's uniformly in all the teachings I've received, and most specifically of these Dzogchen writings of Jujum Lingba. It's very clear, and I'm actually very content with this approach that is really dominates the, the teaching, the dissemination of Dzogchen nowadays, and that is texture at first. But I think I have some intimation how the other also makes sense. I'm I, Intuitively, I kind of feel, I trust it must make sense. It was taught by great, great beings. At the same time, these great beings and their more recent incarnations, because they keep on coming back, right? They are now teaching really quite strongly the texture at first. And Dujum Lingba, more so than most, really emphasizes, but Dujum Lingba, it's Padmasambhava after all, uh, emphasizes, you know, don't skip Shamatha. Some do. Don't skip Vipassana. And some do. In Dzogchen. And these are authentic Dzogchen teachers. Not flaky ones, watered down ones for, you know, watering down for Westerners who can't handle the real stuff. Give them the watered down version, like putting water in your whiskey. Not that, you know, real ones. But then we can ask, because one of my lamas represents exactly such a school. I think I'll just keep it anonymous, but he's one of my lamas. Absolutely, I have no doubt. Authentic, deep. His lineage of who he's an inca- incarnation of is pretty awesome. So, just that. And he's very deeply respected. I've received teachings from him. He's really, really authentic. And I asked him, because I translated for him in, in Dzogchen teaching, he said, Where's Shamatha? He said, It's not here. We're going to do it. And in the Dzogchen teaching himself, where's Vipassana? Not there. So, what's going on there? We have Dujum Lingba saying, Hey, this is indispensable. And they're saying, hmm, I don't think it's really a contradiction. But it's already stated as such, and that's not an interpretation, that's a fact. Because Padmasambhava himself in the Vajra Essence and elsewhere in the enlightened view of samatabhadra the synthesis, the enlightened view of samatabhadra says, for individuals of superior faculties, they can just hear the teachings and boom, they go right into rikpa. They didn't do shamatha vipassana, they go to rikpa and they pick up all the benefits of shamatha vipassana just by poof, just going immersion, a total immersion into rikpa. You know, they hear the teaching, bam, they're in. And other ones, the medium faculties, three weeks of merging mind with space, they're in. If they're in, then just as relative bodhicitta is a natural display of ultimate bodhicitta, it comes just forth spontaneously. Well, if relative bodhicitta does, and you've realized rikpa deeply, profoundly, maybe even non-conceptually, then shama is vipassana will really come out. All the benefits of that will just come out of rikpa. Where, where are they coming out of anyway? When you get the bliss, luminosity, and non-conceptuality of shama, where, where, where is the bliss, where are these qualities really coming from? Not just from the substrate, it's ethically neutral. It's a screen, it's a window, and these qualities are fundamentally coming from rikpa. All virtues are coming from Brigma. Remember my abbot, teacher, beloved teacher. Said, Geawayana Anything that is a virtue is a manifestation of the enlightened activities of the Buddha. How about that? So, in so far as my words right now are virtuous, well, these are activity of the Buddha. So now you see how insignificant I am. If if you might thought for a moment, oh, that makes Alan something special. No. Maybe a little right, and then, then no, actually, zero special. Because it's not the face, the body, the voice, the man, the personal history, the intelligence, and so forth. That's not it. That's not it at all. It's just the virtue. The virtue. Yeah. So shall I ramble a little bit more? <laughs> so it's very interesting. This, you know, there it is. So we're going to go to great compassion. Great compassion can take you on a straight route, again, no elaboration, straight route right to relative bodhicitta. And the bodhicitta can just take you right through, it can be the motivating force taking you right through the six perfections, to the culmination of perfection of wisdom, prajna, paramita. And then don't stop, if you're following this mayana track, then you go on to the final four paramitas, final four perfections of upaya, skillful means, Paranidana, prayer, aspirational prayer. Bala, power, spiritual power. And then the tenth one. What is the final perfection, the final final, the grand finale? Yeshe, primordial consciousness, final one. So, just follow that bodhicitta route. It will take you to the perfection of wisdom, Perfection with, and then just continue on and it'll take you to the culmination of primordial consciousness. Welcome home, back to pristine awareness. Right? So that's one route. So some people in their practice, they may primarily emphasize as their vehicle coming in more the relative angle, about relative approach. Devotions and prayers, maybe stage of degeneration, completion perhaps, perhaps maybe even turt gel, the direct crossing over. But coming in and then coming into the ultimate ground, jirikpa, pristine awareness, the ground, pristine awareness. And others, by predisposition, by faculty, may come in primarily the shamatha, the vipassana, the texture route, and out of that, tapping right into pristine awareness, then from that flows relative bodhicitta spontaneously, emerging spontaneously. And then go from there, the tritkel, direct crossing over and finish up. So I found it quite interesting. So, so what's that business about this wonderful lama that I mentioned who just skipped shamatha vipassana? If you're a person here, it is. Want the answer? There's no. Con- there's actually no. No conflict at all. If you're a person of very sharp faculties, then just follow that route. It's just a direct route to sham to to, rikpa. And if you truly ascertain rikpa, then you get all the benefits of shamatha vipassana from that source, because you tapped into the ultimate source of all virtues. right? Jim Lingbas is addressing people who are... He, he's referring to them, you may be a simultaneous individual remember, or a person of medium faculties, okay good, just merge your mind with space for three weeks and then skip to the end of the book. <laughs> you know, there are such individuals and it really looks like there are lineages within Dzogchen that are really designed for people of medium faculties and they don't even mention the poor schmucks like me. Like, don't even bother to read this, you know, <laughs> down boy, <laughs> down. <laughs> <You> know. <laughs> you know, just down boy, you know, you're not up to it. But Dejum Lingba reaches down for a pe- person like me and says, okay, so you spent three weeks, I did, three weeks, <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit of hope, oh, maybe, maybe I could be mediocre, but no, I'm not mediocre, I'm inferior. And so, well, then we have something, at least we, there's some place we can get some traction. You know, where the the wheels are turning and actually you're moving someplace and not just spinning your wheels. I think that actually happens a lot nowadays. A lot of people being given teachings that were people, for people of superior faculties, and they're not. So they think, I'm practicing stage stage of completion, I'm practicing six yogas, I'm practicing goya samaja and so forth, and I'm. And just mud's flying all over the place, you know, but they're actually not going anywhere at all. It happens. I'm probably just cynical, but it's possible. So. <laughs> and other people also, you know, doing seeing all these little bubbles forming in the field visual fields that I'm a tutgelwa, I'm practicing direct crossing over. Bubbles, bubbles. It's kinda like, okay. Some kids like using a bubble machine whoo, you know. Whoo. Some people like blowing bubbles, some people like blowing bubbles in the tutgel. But there's no guarantee one's more profound than the other. Bubbles are bubbles, <laughs> little bubbles, big bubbles. They're still bubbles. Mm-hmm. So you see where you are. You assess where you are. You find a place where you can get traction. I was reading Tapatashi Nangyal, this great gaitu master, sixteenth century, very influential, and his two of his books, two of his books have been translated into English. Outstanding, good translations too. I don't read much because I just, I can like throw darts and see where the dart lands. So I read something and he said, there are two approaches in, in the Mahamudra. And one is going to the view by way of meditation. The other one's going to the meditation by way of the view. Well, you've heard that before. Benjana says it, Padmasambhava says it. And so this approach of really seeking to accomplish shamatha and on the basis of that having the view come out of your practice. There's that approach. And there's the other approach that's, Almost universal. Go to, go to, I think, any Shetta, for example, in the Gagyut tradition, or the, or the Namdur Ling, for example, in, in the, this marvelous monastery, Yema monastery in the south of India, and many others in Tibet and so forth. And where people are getting their, and the Golupa monasteries and the Sakya monasteries for them, really for all of these great monastic colleges. The approach really is to spend 10, 15, 20 years getting the view. Studying the sutras and studying the Vajrayana, studying tantra, studying, if you are going to a Dzogchen-shetta, you are studying maybe the seven works of, of Longchenpa and so forth, You know, studying the Guiyagarbha Tantra with the commentaries and so forth, So you are really getting the view, and then you get your Kempo degree, you get your Geshe degree, and then the idea is going to go meditate. Well, some do, some don't. They just get the view and they start teaching that happens a lot. No confidence. I think it really boils down to that, no confidence. It happens a lot nowadays in all schools. They really know how to talk the talk, they have good understanding, they probably have good ethics, I think in most cases good ethics, they become articulate, they've learned well, they've learned all the recipes, they never go into the kitchen, and then they go off and teach the recipes, and that's better than nothing. But if you spent 10 or 15, 20 years learning the recipes, don't you get at least curious to see what some of the food might taste like? And how do you know that if you don't meditate? So if it's just two, some, to some, to some, hearing and thinking, hearing, thinking, hearing, thinking, you learn one heck of a lot about recipes. But do you ever really get the taste? No, open question. That approach is as Thapodashinamgya said, that approach is for people of sharp faculties. View first, by way of the view, meditation. Thapodashinamgya, tende soonsu. Whereas people of dull faculties, whenever I hear that, I say, oh, you're you calling to me? Are you calling to me? Dull faculty, cause I, I know where I am, you know, that's... Dull fa- if they say dullest of dull, then I really get interested. <laughs> you think I'm joking, but I'm really not joking at all. Because I know which size shoe fits my feet, you know, and I just find the lowest notch and that's where I feel comfortable, that's where I get some traction. But there's just tall, medium, and short, you know, superior, middling, and inferior. For people of inferior faculties, says this great Kakyut master, you go for meditation first and the view second, go for your shamatha first, and then out of that your Vipassana and on to Mahamudra. You're so relaxed. I know my place, with all deference to those. And I actually do have faith. Why should I think, you know, that they're fooling us, that there are people of middle, middling faculties and superior faculties. They're there. It's just that I know I'm not one of them. But that's cool, because there's still a place for me, people like me, right? And if you're one of the middling and superior faculties, you really came to the wrong retreat. I'm sorry. But <laughs> <laughs> I have people I can refer you to, you know, really. I'm, I'm serious. I, people I can refer you to. But why are you hanging out with me? You know, really. Get a grip. Okay. So let's practice unveil or cultivate as you wish great compassion. Namo Lama Ndeshe Ndupeku Kunjo Tsumgiranjinnla Datandortu Semshinnam Janju Badu Kapsu Chi Namo In the Lama, who is the embodiment of the Sugatas, of the nature of the Three Jewels, I, together with the beings of the Six Realms, take refuge until our enlightenment. (laughs) SEMKYEN KUNDANDU For the sake of all beings I generate the spirit of awakening and cultivate the realization of the Lama as Buddha. By means of enlightened activity, I shall train each being according to their needs, and I vow to liberate the world. Oṁ <laughs> oṅgī Yamsen SHUKI MUDUP NYE PERMA JUNE SHESU KODU KANDO JESU GURU Hung, in the northwest frontier of Odiana, in the heart of a lotus sits the one renowned as Padmasambhava who achieved the wondrous supreme city and is surrounded by a host of dakinis. Following in your footsteps, I devote myself to practice. Please come forth and bestow your blessings. Guru pema city. Hung. Go to Pema City. For the main practice, it would be preferable to be sitting upright, but if you are more comfortable in another position, please shift now. Sustaining this sense of the indivisibility of your own subtle body, speech, and mind with the Vajra, body, speech and mind of Guru Rinpoche, the synthesis of all the Buddhas, sustaining this. Let the rest of the practice be imbued with this perspective. Center your heart within this translucent, shimmering, luminous field of your body, devoid of anything substantial, let alone inherently real. Symbolically, visualize your Buddha nature, this pristine awareness, as a radiant orb of white light, as you've done before. As it does, anyway, let this light illuminate the space of your awareness. wherein the appearances of all the world and its sentient inhabitants manifest, attend to the world, the world of sentient beings are all around about. And rotate the axis of your perspective by the power of your imagination, to view reality from the perspective of myriad sentient beings, each one the center of their own mandala, viewing their own reality from their own perspective as sentient beings. We seek here to emulate what a Tibetan called Jinye Kembe, or the omniscient awareness that perceives the whole range of phenomena, which means simply to be able to view the whole of reality from the perspective of every sentient being. Myriad worlds for myriad sentient beings. And the more closely we investigate, the more closely and clearly it appears that these worlds of samsara are permeated by suffering. Blatant suffering, the suffering of change, omnipresent existential suffering. For as long as the samsara continues, the suffering will not subside. And as we attend to the suffering of others, allowing it to become real for us, then we may ask, in chorus with all the bodhisattvas of the past, the present and the future, in Tibetan, dunga dungi Why couldn't all sentient beings be free of suffering and its causes? From one perspective, it seems so hopeless, the world so dominated by the poisons of the mind. yet, from another perspective, there's infinite hope because those afflictions do not get to the core, every sentient being imbued with pristine awareness. So from that perspective, there is an answer. There is no reason why every sentient being, each one, couldn't be free. If that reality, excuse me, if that possibility is a reality, it really could happen. And we hold that vision, then this raises the second line of the liturgy. Tehvaragyurachik, may we all be free. Suffering has no owner. This yearning must continue until all have, in fact, become free. There is immeasurable compassion. May each one, regardless of how they behave, how they appear, whether they are close or they are far. May each one be free of suffering and its causes. I shall free us. I shall free us all. And there arises great compassion, from the aspiration to the intention. Stir the depths of your heart. Arouse your Buddha-nature. Let's call in the voice of Shantideva for as long as space remains, for as long as sentient beings remain. So long shall I remain to alleviate the suffering of the world. May the Guru and the Deity bless me, to enable me to do so. So with this invocation, rooted in a resolve, a promise, With each in-breath, imagine the blessings of all the Buddhas of the three times. The blessings of Samantabhadra, the blessings of your own pristine awareness flowing in upon you symbolically from all sides. The light of blessings converging in upon your body. So your body-mind becomes a fulcrum, like the center of an hourglass. And you become a conduit. A channel for the blessings of all the Buddhas. With each in-breath, receive as you, br- as you receive the in-breath itself effortlessly. Simply receive the blessings flowing in from all sides. And with every out-breath, breathe out the intention and the aspiration of great compassion. Imagine light rays emanating from your heart flowing out through every, f- every pore of your body, every pore of the skin, in all directions. As a manifestation of the spontaneous actualization of enlightened activity. From this original purity, at your heart. Imagine these brilliant white rays of great compassion, taking on the form of whatever is needed by each sentient being, from moment to moment to breathing, bring them a step further on the path to freedom, of genuine happiness. Imagine each ray of light serving the needs of sentient beings according to their needs. Whoever comes to mind send out the light to each one and thereby to all sentient beings. Then release all the creations of the mind, all aspirations, all imagery. Rest in unmodified awareness. So, equally, for those who are in our pod here, did I mention that I just learned that a group of kangaroos is called a pod? That's yeah. <laughs> what so I was told. How cool. So we're the Australian pod. Here in this room, but also our extended pod throughout the world, of people listening in, some almost in real time, because the wonderful people, thank you, with my gratitude to those making this available on the podcast, it's wonderful work. I've checked in. It's now such, such wonderful service. So, whether you're a local potter or a, a distant potter, whether you're living really a very contemplative way of life, as we now have the privilege of doing, or whether for the time being you really need to be socially engaged. Either way, and equally, equally, no better, no worse, you really have the alternative, the option. You can make the choice to let all of your activities throughout the course of the day be imbued with this aspiration and intention of great compassion. You can. And if you do, that will be a meaningful day. That's Dharma. That's real Dharma. Then whatever you are doing, you are definitely heading out on the Mahayana path. You are following in the footsteps. of all those who become enlightened it's a good path